Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Chapter number four is where we're going to be. Um, I encouraged you to be in class today. Um, we're going to, first of all, launch a new series, but tell you a little bit about something that we have coming up as well. And so Acts chapter number four is where we're going to be. Um, I don't, I want to read the whole passage. We don't have time to, so I'm going to try to pluck out a few verses uh, just so you get a feeling of what is uh, happening in this passage. I would encourage you to go back and maybe read Acts chapter number four on your own. I absolutely love this, this uh, chapter. Because here's where we're at kind of in church history. Obviously, the book of Acts, Jesus has uh, ascended back up into heaven. And so his disciples are kind of at a breaking point where they can either uh, do what they were taught or just decide to move on. And, well, that Jesus thing was three and a half years. And so uh, I might have wasted it or I learned a few things, but now I'm going to go back and do my own thing. And what we find in the book of Acts, really even in the beginning two chapters, is that they choose to take up the mantle. They choose to say, we are going to do that which Christ has told us to do, that which he has taught us to do. But in Acts chapter number four is really the first glimpse we get of how much it truly affected them. And so Acts chapter number four, let's begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide, howbeit many of them which heard, of the, word, heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. I love how the Bible just casually throws out big numbers, all right? Like, like if we have 3,000 at our harvest festival, we like tell everybody about it, all right? And the Bible just casually says that this many people got saved and the number of men was about 5,000, all right? So a pretty, I would chalk that up as a pretty good outreach event, all right? Verse number five. And it came to pass on the morrow that there are rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, why, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, to, or be it known unto you, he should have said y'all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So here's what Peter does. He basically gets in trouble for preaching the gospel and doing a miracle. And so when they ask him, why are you doing this? You know what he uses as an opportunity to do? To share the gospel. Okay, look at verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been 
with Jesus. I want you to skip down verse number 23. They go through a little bit of imprisonment and uh, persecution, but in verse number 23, And being let go, they went to their company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And you really go down all the way through verse number 30. They sing and really pray a song of praise. And then verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was, was his own. But they had all things in common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. We'll stop there, but I want you to look at those couple of verses. Let's go back and let's look at verse number 13, and if you would, read that out loud together with me. Verse number 13, the Bible says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I want to talk for the next couple minutes and really for the next couple of weeks about this idea of being changed. Being changed. We talk a lot about change. We talk a lot about how Christianity and the Bible is the, the method of change. Uh, we probably, if you look at the world around us, believe that our world should change. And yet, how does that happen? What is the process of that? The Bible is very clear when it comes to how biblical change occurs. And yet, for so many Christians, we don't really know how to apply it to our own lives. And so today, for the kind of the introduction, lesson one, whatever you want to call it, I want to talk for about the marks of change, the marks of change. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the date you've given us. Thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are a God who desires to change us. You don't want to leave us the same. And yet many in this room and in churches around America have gathered today and will sit in a service, will we'll sing a song, will listen to a sermon, will listen to a lesson, and we will leave unchanged. And so God, I ask that over these next couple of weeks that you would help us to change from the inside out, that you would help us to become more like your son, not more like some sort of cookie cutter or mold, but more like you. May we take the principles that are taught and may we apply them to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. I've been praying over the last couple of months about really where the Lord was leading us this fall as a class. And um, I, I can honestly say that life got busy and I, I was struggling to kind of get a sense of direction, um, juggling some of the kids stuff, juggling now some of the fire stuff and some of the, the things with my dad's health. Um, I didn't really know where we were headed until probably about three or four weeks ago. And I got a direction, and it seems like ever since I've gotten that, that direction, it, uh, Satan's kind of piled it on. But I wanted to just come today before our class and ask you this simple question of, are you a changed disciple? Are you a changed disciple? When I say that's a simple question, it is a maybe simply worded, but it is a very loaded question. 
You see, for many of us, we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've been baptized. We, you are faithful to church. You attend. You, you probably have a Bible that you've tucked up under your arm or you have an app on your phone. And, and you have a lot of the resources. But the question is not do you have access to those things. The question is have you been changed? I got to teach a lesson uh, for our staff training that we have at the beginning of every year. And uh, my, the, my assigned topic was to talk about the purpose of our church and really the vision and purpose of our church. And one of the statements that I made that is not original with me, but is something that I've really kept pondering over these last couple of weeks is this, is that our world does not need more Christians to change the world. It needs more Christians to be disciples. You see, there's a lot of people right now that have maybe the name Christian in an Instagram bio or, or on their Facebook profile or, or a tattooed across their forehead or whatever. Right? There's a variety of ways people would tell you that they're a Christian. Okay? Most of them is not biblical, just for the, those of you who are referencing that. All right? But um, there's a variety of ways that we claim that our Christianity. And the truth is, is that you can be a Christian and never be a disciple. You can be someone who claims the name of Jesus Christ and yet never mimic him. You can be someone who has your ticket punched to heaven and never follow the ways of Jesus. And I want you to listen to this and listen to it very carefully because I believe this wholeheartedly. Salvation changes your eternity, but discipleship changes your reality. Salvation changes your eternity. But discipleship changes your reality. And there's a lot of people that we have accepted Jesus Christ and we've accepted salvation so that our eternity is settled. But we never once claim the teachings of Jesus Christ so that our reality is different. So that we love people differently. So that we live differently. So that we surrender differently. So that we have a different perspective on the things of this life. Because if our, just our eternity is changed we really didn't get that much out of this deal. That means that we have to wait 80, sometimes 90, 100 years, 70 years. We have to wait all these years to experience the blessings of salvation when that is not what Jesus taught his disciples. He didn't say, follow me so that I can change you 100 years from now or 40 years from now. He says, follow me because I'm going to teach you a new way of living. And change is something that must occur in the life of every Christian if we are going to experience the discipleship and the, the process that Jesus Christ desired for us to. And in Acts chapter number 4, you really get a look at what changed in these guys' lives. Okay? Peter and John are not who we would consider high society. Peter and John are not probably, if you were beginning a, a company, that you would think, those two guys that are fishermen, that's who I want. All right? They're not really someone that we would choose. And yet in Acts chapter number 4, what you see is they're literally on the cusp of, as the Bible says, turning the world upside down. And in Acts 4, you get five different marks of a changed person. The first one is this, a changed disciple is marked by a passion for the lost. A changed disciple is marked by a passion for the lost. The Bible says in verse number 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. 
when they saw that they were bold, that they were very outspoken, that they were maybe even a little bit flamboyant about this faith that they had found in Jesus Christ, they knew that something was different about them. And for many of us, the way that we have chosen to live our Christian life and the way that we have chosen to be a, an example of Jesus Christ is that we almost just say, well, if someone comes and asks me, I'll be ready to share. That wasn't the vibe that you get in Acts chapter number 4. They weren't waiting on the darkness to come to the light. They were taking the light to the darkness. And so many times we look at the world and we think, oh my goodness, it's closing in on me. There's so much wickedness. There's so much evil. What are we going to do about it? I wish someone would come and ask me how to be saved so that I can help them change their life. When the truth is, is that because of the change that they had experienced, they said, no, we are so confident in this that we're going to take the light to the darkness. When was the last time that you looked at maybe someone that you know is not on their way to heaven? You looked at a classmate. You looked at a coworker. You looked at maybe a family member. And rather than being disgusted with their problems or, or maybe their idiocracy because they believe something that you don't believe or something that is so illogical, when was the last time that you looked at them with the eyes of Jesus Christ? And you saw them as someone who was going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. When was the last time you looked at your job as a mission field, your campus as a mission field, your family dinner as an opportunity to talk about the goodness of God. And yet for many of us who have been in church all of our lives, who have a Bible tucked up under our arm, who faithfully attend, we almost look at the lost as an inconvenience, me included. I'm preaching to myself, not just to you, okay? We almost look at them as the ones who are holding back our country from experiencing the blessings of God. When you and I have the answer, and yet we may not have the passion or the boldness that is required to see others change. So first of all, a changed disciple is marked by a passion for the lost. Secondly, a changed disciple is marked by the presence of Christ. They said this in verse number 13, and they took knowledge of them that they had been trained well. Is that what it says? They took knowledge of them that they were smarter than everybody else. No, what did they take knowledge of? They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I wonder when you walk into the classroom, your place of work, your office, you get on a Zoom call. I wonder if others sense that you have been with Jesus. I, I, I get that life is busy right now. Some of you wake up at the crack of dawn, okay? Like, some of you go to bed at the crack of dawn. Like, I don't even know everybody's schedules right now, okay? Like, you're like, I wish I woke up at the crack of dawn. I'm still awake at the crack of dawn, all right? I'm just driving home, all right? Everybody's schedules are different. But here's what I know should be the same in every one of our lives. Is there should be a moment in our day where we meet with Jesus Christ. Where we spend time with Him. So that others may sense His presence on our life. So first of all, a changed disciple is marked by a passion for the lost, a presence for Christ. I've got to hurry. But a changed disciple is marked by praise toward God. 
A changed disciple is marked by praise toward God. If you go and you look at verse number 23, they get let go and they, they get let go. I don't think that's good grammar. They are let go, all right? Um, but anyways, they're, they're sent away and they, they gather back together with their little group of Christians and their friends. And you know what they don't do? They don't get in there and say, oh boy, here comes the persecution. Whew, that was rough. It's coming. It's going to be bad. Get ready for it. Run while you can. All right, that's not what they said. They said that we're going to take time to praise God for who he is. This is something bigger than we are. This is the God of the universe that we're telling other people how to have a relationship with. This is Jesus Christ who came and he died on the cross. We believe in this thing, and so we're going to praise toward God. When was the last time, and you'll get this question posed towards you again in the 11 o'clock service, and if you were in the 9 o'clock service, you already heard it, but when was the last time you praised God? When was the last time you said, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to praise you? A changed disciple is marked by praise, but then fourthly, and a changed disciple is marked by prayer for power. Prayer for power. Look at verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. They were assembled together in the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. With great power. You should have a time in your day that not only are you meeting with Jesus Christ and experiencing his presence and praising him for what he has done, but you should have a time in your day where you say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your power. Lord, I need your strength. If I'm going to do this, it's not going to be in my might, not by might, nor by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. We should stop relying on who we are to change our world and start relying upon the power that Jesus Christ has already promised to us. So a changed disciple is marked by prayer for power, but then lastly, I want you to notice this, a changed disciple is marked by possessions in heaven. Isn't it interesting that one of the responses of these disciples was that they looked around and they said, what do I have to give so that heaven can be greater than what I have here on this earth? And for most of us, we flip that question. What can I gain down here to make my life more comfortable? What can I get in this life rather than what can I get in the next life? And a changed person is marked by being willing to sacrifice. I want to close with the last three minutes with those marks in mind. And I want to show you something that I think we're going to do. Justin, can you throw that last slide up? All right. Not I think we're going to do. We are going to do it. All right. Next week, we'll have notebooks for everybody. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay. I, I get how the participation on this stuff works. Right. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For the next 90 days from September 5th. Is my math right on that? September 4th is Sunday, right? Yeah, it is. We'll go with that. None of you know. Some of you are like, sure, let's go with it, all right? Okay? Monday, September 5th, Labor Day, okay? So I'm even giving you the day off, okay, to start with. But on Labor Day, as a class, here's what I'm going to challenge us to do, is 90 days of commitment toward our personal and spiritual walk. 90 days of commitment. You say, well, what's in that commitment? First of all, is it's a commitment to practice the presence of God at some point during the day. 
We'll give you Bible reading. We're going to read through the Gospels together. There's 89 chapters in all four Gospels, okay? So we're going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and um, then Acts chapter number 1 so that you can see the effect of all of it, okay? We're going to read the Gospels together. Then we're going to read the book of Psalms and Proverbs together. There's 180, I believe, chapters between Proverbs, or uh, 181 chapters between Psalms and Proverbs, okay? So basically be reading three chapters a day uh, during that time. Okay, I think my math's right on that. I'll, do, I'll redo the math, okay? Asking you to practice the presence of God one time during your day. A commitment to prayer, okay? A commitment to Bible reading, a commitment to prayer, and a commitment to pray with others. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? We're going to provide you at least one opportunity on Thursday nights through Collegians for Christ, okay? If you want to come over to campus, we will use that as kind of a hub to where you can come. You can talk about, uh, you can pray with someone else. You can spend time with someone else. But really giving you an opportunity to meet other people and say, let's grow in our walk with God. Peter and John were not lone rangers, okay? I've always said this. The, the Christian walk can be lived on an island, but it doesn't have to. It can be lived on an island, but it doesn't have to. Probably easier on an island, all right, to be honest. But it doesn't have to be. Which may mean this, some of you who teach, all right, I know that those of you who teach and have to wake up at the crack of dawn, okay, like you probably are not going to want to come over to Collegians for Christ and hang out till 9 o'clock, all right? Maybe, uh, maybe on a Wednesday night after church or before church, you say, hey, let's meet at Just Love and let's, let's talk for 30 minutes. Let's pray for each other. Let's tell each other what's going on in each other's lives. Maybe you have coworkers that you say, I want to do this. Maybe if you're here and you got a husband and you're a husband and wife, you can sit down together. It will not take you long, but here's what I know is that when we have accountability built into our lives, it accomplishes a lot more, doesn't it? How many of you ever said you're gonna go work out by yourself? Okay, everybody everybody says that. Like, I am so committed, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna pay $29.99, I'm gonna pay the upfront, I'm paying for a five-year membership because I know in five years I'm gonna be super jacked, all right? Like but guess what? It's not very consistent. But you know what does happen? Is if your friend texts you and says, hey, we're going for a run tomorrow. Can you be there? Now, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of accountability. Built. You don't want to be the one laying in bed when everybody else is running, right? Okay? You just want to lay down once you get there, all right? <laughs> I'm here. I'm just going to lay down on this park bench, okay? There's accountability built into that. So having others that you can say, this is what I struggled with this week. This is what God taught me this week. But it's 90 days of growth, 90 days of Bible study, prayer, meeting with others, and sharing the gospel with someone once a week. Sharing the gospel with someone once a week. All of those things are very simple. And the truth is, is I don't think I'm throwing it out to anyone where you're going to be like, oh, man, I've never heard of this before, okay? We all know that that's what we should be doing. I'm just going to give you a resource to help you with it. And so for the next 90 days, once again, starting next Sunday, we'll have notebooks for everybody. We'll have that out so that you can start that Monday. But 90 days of just saying, I'm committed to changing my life from the inside out. And here's what I believe that you'll find, is at the end of those 90 days of consistently spending time with God, praying, growing with others, and telling someone else about Jesus Christ, I believe that what you'll find is that you will see change that is beginning to occur in your life in a way that you did not know was possible. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Thanks for listening. 
If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.